Check out Geek Therapy on Twitch, where we play a variety of games every week, including some that we talk about here on Headshots. Visit twitch.tv slash geektherapy to watch us live. Welcome to Headshots, the psychology and gaming show on the Geek Therapy Network. My name is Osai Cardona, joined by Lauren Keller. Hello. Hello. Let's talk about an article that we read. Yeah. Uh, this one is from Kotaku. For men who hate talking on the phone, games keep friendships alive. Uh, do you remember the first conversation that we ever had? I do. <laughs> I kept thinking about it uh, as we were getting ready to discuss this article. Because, uh, so listeners, here's what happened. <laughs> I, got, I was contacted by Lauren to, uh, what would you call it, like an, inform- an informational interview? Yeah, maybe? Yeah, that's what I was doing. Yeah, and so... I could have said, yeah, let's talk on the phone. Instead, I said, why don't we play, why don't we talk while we play a game? And so I am basically the person that is described in that article <laughs> <laughs> to a T. Yeah. Uh, there, actually, even just podcasts are really an excuse for me to talk to my cool friends. That's basically <laughs> what they are. <laughs> this has all been a ploy to, to just uh, get together with you once a week. At the least. perfect ploy. Yep, yep, and chat. Because <laughs> if you called me on the phone, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick up. Yeah, I, I also <laughs> like basically my sister is the only person who, if she calls me, I'll actually pick up the phone. <laughs> Pretty much everybody else, I'm like, why didn't you just text? Why yeah, are you putting that, so much pressure on me? <laughs> yeah, that, that's another thing I kept thinking about throughout the article, which we'll get more into in a second. But I kept thinking, like, isn't that just how young people are today? And actually, I mean, my mom's in her 60s. She really doesn't want to talk to anybody. She much rather texts now. Mm-hmm. She's she's seen the light. <laughs> <laughs> so it seemed it seemed interesting to me the discussion that that's happening in that article, and versus like my experience is just that it's it's pretty much a, a lot of people, most people, I think, are like that today. What are what what does the article say? <laughs> Yeah, so the article basically goes over how at approximately age 30, um, men's maintained friendships decline, partly due to distance, which is like, you know, you've you've gotten married and moved out of your hometown or you've graduated from college or what have you. Um, so physical distance and then also phone aversion where people don't want to do phone calls. Um, and so they start talking about how Game chat and like uh, programs like Discord can fulfill social communication needs for these men who fit in into that that group. Um, they they connected this to a Royal Society Open Science study, which looked at the sex differences in social focus across the life cycle in humans. And what they looked at is they looked at phone call data and age and gender to predict certain communication behaviors, which what they ended up showing is that young men have more contacts in their phone and more contact points than women do until about the mid to late 30s when it swaps, where older women have more than older men. Hmm. Cecilia Anastasio, who wrote the Kotaku article, basically tied it as a casual way to stave off loneliness and emotional isolation that comes with, you know, just general life aging, where as you, you know, get more focused on your career and your family, you have less connection to outside um, social people, social connections. 
Um, And then they also touched on the idea of communication socialization in which um, the way that men and women are socialized as children is different. So um, Cecilia made the, the point that, you know, young girls are typically given more tools and opportunities to practice social communication. Um, Mm. So it kind of makes sense that as they get older, they've had more, you know, more practice time. So they're better at it. And we don't give um, young men the same opportunities. So they're not as practiced with it, which leads to them, you know, being sort of behind when it comes to social connections later in their life. And then Cecilia also touched on, like, uh, she collected her data from her Twitter followers, which were um, mostly men who responded. But what some of her participants talked about is that it's like, it's not really that there's a big gender difference. It's just that you're looking at a specific activity where it's like a similar example would be um, like, you know, mid 30s, late 30s, early 40s, women who are part of like a book club where they get together once a week or once a month and they talk about a book and they drink wine or whatever. But it ends up it's not like really about the book. The book is just sort of the reason to get everybody together. And men are doing the same thing. They're just doing it in game spaces and maybe with a little bit less self-awareness that they are using it to fulfill a social need than just like, well, I want to play games with my friends. But (laughs) it's definitely there is a part of it where it's like, you know, um, people prefer to play multiplayer games with people they know than, you know, total randos every time. Right. I think so. (laughs) It's usually true. I mean, there is something about probably if somebody was doing it more deliberately. I'm assuming that they would also be okay with talking to to random people or looking for friends that way. Yeah, which there are. I mean, I mean that's that's something that happens yeah, and, a lot. Yeah, and also. I mean that's that's uh, certainly an aspect of it, right? This this article is sort of looking at it more from a um, friendship maintenance, where it's like maintaining relationships that you've already created and you know held for a certain amount of time. But there's also totally opportunity for making new friendships and building social capital completely through a game to lead to a you know a really beneficial relationship. But um, it's slightly less common because the way that these men are using Discord and game chat to have the social communication, it isn't focused on the social communication aspect. It's sort of uh, adjacent to it, where it's like the purpose is to play the game together and be able to communicate if you're playing like a, um, a cooperative multiplayer game like League of Legends or Dota or Apex Fortnite, any of those things where it's like it's beneficial to gameplay if you're able to communicate with your team. And then the conversation focuses on the game, but it's open enough that you can touch on like real life topics in game chat. You know, you can be all like, oh, hey, you know, this is what's going on with my mom or like, oh, I had to take my dog to the vet last week and catch up with your friends that way. But because it's it's activity focused rather than uh, specifically communication focus. Like when you make a phone call, is like the purpose is two people to communicate to each other. That's it. With video <laughs> games, it's like there's a lot of motivations going on here. And so it's like it's very easy to sort of slide the social communication one in there without making it like too much of the main focus and therefore kind of uncomfortable, especially if you don't have a lot of practice doing that kind of social communication. Yeah. I remember there was one example in the article of uh, someone who said, that 
all of the games that they play are games that their friends also play. Mm-hmm. Like, like those are the only games they have. And I have a few that fall in that category. <laughs> the thought that Borderlands 3 is coming out soon, mm-hmm. it brings back memories of Borderlands 2, which is, I think, the first time that I ever experienced this kind of social strengthening of relationships. Yeah. Because I started playing with people who I considered friends, but they were friends from work. And once we started playing Borderlands 2, it went it went beyond that. It was way, way more than like we became friend friends. <laughs> like like not just friends from work. Yeah. And and we played for so long. And the way we played was uh like we were constantly helping each other out, you know, those examples of, of, well, I need help completing this thing. I've already done it, but I'm going to help you anyway. Or I have this extra item. Here you go. That'll help you out. All of that helped our friendship. But as far as communication, yeah, absolutely. Like we, we bought houses, got married, uh, had babies, <laughs> right? Like the, the group, I mean, grew over time as we kept playing that particular game. Yeah. And the moment that Borderlands 3 was announced, like, one of them started a group chat. <laughs> I was like, oh, "Like, are we getting the band back together?" And I got so excited. <laughs> getting the gang back together, woo! Because <laughs> <laughs> it's been a couple of years since we did that. I jumped over to to Destiny, and then I actually met a whole bunch of other people playing Destiny. And I, I don't know. There's something. There's definitely something about some of these games that I think makes that way easier. Absolutely. Yeah. There. There are definitely. Especially if we're, if we're just focusing on multiplayer games, like there is a lot of time spent considering communication in game from the developer's point of view and figuring out how people are going to interact through the through a multiplayer game, mm-hmm. um, especially if they're cooperative. And you can you can see those kinds of decisions when you compare like Apex Legends communication in game versus like Splatoon's in-game communication, where (laughs) clearly these games value different kinds of communication and are incentivizing certain kinds of communication. Yeah, Um, yeah. I think a lot of these games are also, there's a pro-social design behind it, Yeah, which which is, it means that we're not, if you and I are playing this game together, it means we're probably not going to get mad at each other because we're we're on 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 opposite sides. Unlike in Splatoon, like in Splatoon, you can actually join a group of your friends and you'll randomly be on opposite on opposite teams. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. There's yeah. not a built in uh, team chat or anything through yeah. Nintendo. Yeah. So it's like all, all of those. Those are very intentional choices that game developers are making based on what kind of experience they want their players um, to have. And, and you know. <laughs> you always have to keep in mind is like there's what you expect players to do and then there's what players actually end up doing and so <laughs> you have to consider that is like even if you don't want people to be jerks sometimes they'll figure out how anyways Again, there's some, there's something about some of these games like like Apex Legends I think if you look at our geek therapy at our Twitch at our Twitch channel the stream team has had days where there's there's a lot of us playing but sometimes there's a couple of us there and I remember some really late night gaming sessions between me and Zach on the stream team mm-hmm. where we're just talking about life. Like It's like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> we're playing Monster Hunter. We're playing Apex and we're hunting monsters, but we're really, we're talking about work. We're talking about our families, talking about our health. Yeah. And 
I guess because those are games that aren't, I don't want to say they're mindless, right? But they, they allow for enough social interaction to be a part of the gaming experience that isn't distracting or, or that neither one distracts from each other. Like they're both, they, they can both exist in a, in a complementary way. And I think for a lot of people, that's actually more beneficial to communicating because there can be so much uh, like social anxiety tied to, you know, I I have to say the right thing. I don't, you know, I want people to like me. I don't want to be rejected. And if you are basically um, splitting your attention with with you know performing well in the game that might be freeing up enough of your <laughs> your like social stress part of your brain so that it you don't find it to be so stressful where you're not so worried about saying the perfect right thing or talking too much or not talking enough all of the things that can you know people can like really worry about in in talking with their friends and stuff it's like if you give this space where it's like the focus isn't on the conversation the focus is on the game but there's space for conversation and people love having that space, I think. Yeah, the article calls it activity-based communication. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can really relate to that. I remember once I got really into Destiny, Destiny and Borderlands are the games that I've most played. And it's for exactly this reason. It's because I feel like I made friends playing them and I appreciated those friendships and I'd like to think that in the real world, if if a friend of mine calls me and says, I got a flat tire, or I need a ride to the airport or whatever, I'm there. I will if I can. But I'm it's it's way more exciting if somebody's like, I need to take down this boss or I need to finish this raid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I was going to do something else. But you know what? Like the barrier to entry for that is pretty low right now because like I'm already at home. I can pull up a chair, log in, but it feels good to do something together. There's one person that I met playing Destiny 2. It was one of those friend-of-a-friend situations. And his name is Carl. I don't know if he listens to the show, but hi, Carl. (laughs) And I remember that during a lull between games, he tried to call me. And I say tried to call me because I didn't answer the phone. And it's something that I've thought about a lot. I was like, why did I? It just felt weird to pick up the phone and talk. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I know he made an effort to do it and like I wanted to, but it was I don't even I, I'd have to put some more thought into it and, and, and really reflect on it. But for the, for the purpose of this conversation, just know that if he would have instead texted me and said, hey, let's hop on a game or even something that we have done, which is that we're playing completely different games. But since we're both on PSN, it's just a matter of starting a group chat. Yeah. And I do that all the time too. So it's in that in that sense it's not even an activity that we're doing together. It's like we both simply acknowledge that we're both playing a game and we can talk. I mean, taking that to the next level, I've actually done it where I see that I have friends online and I just want to pop in and say hi. So people that I would never call on the phone, I have hopped on PlayStation Network not playing a game <laughs> just to go in and say hello and talk to people for a bit. Yeah. There's something about, I don't know, there's something that's way more comfortable about that than simply talking on the phone. Yeah. And I mean, certainly a part of it is is our own past experiences. Like, 
you know, we both grew up in a time when, you know, everybody has phones, but um, our relationship with like traditional telephone calls is is different than the relationship our parents had with traditional cell and telephone calls. Like I remember when I was a little kid and the only person I talked to on the phone was my my mom who lived in a different state and so she'd call once in a while and we'd we'd talk and I was in um fifth grade and our house phone rang and I picked up the phone I'm like hello Keller residence and it was my school's vice principal this lovely woman who was friends with my with my stepmom and she was calling to catch up with my stepmom and I was like well you know she's not here right now but I'll tell her you called she's like okay and because at this point in my life I'd only really ever talked to my mom on the phone I go to hang up I go love you bye (laughs) and then hang up and then realized I said I love you to my vice principal which was hilarious and very embarrassing as a kid um though my stepmom and the vice principal got a total kick out of it but it's like that that whole thing is like my relationship with you know in in middle school and high school is like I would occasionally call my friends um to talk on the telephone but more than that we would go on AIM or if you know if we had texts and we didn't have the um only like six texts a month or whatever. <laughs> uh, that was like the preferred communication style. I was from the Bieber generation. Yeah, you're you're five years older than me, so <laughs> yeah. it's it's uh, not full overlap between us. But I'm sure you know the difference between calling on a cell phone and calling on like a landline is like I I feel that difference now. <laughs> During Bieber's, okay, you would call an operator, tell the operator the message, that operator would type it and send it to the person's beeper. Yeah. Now, we didn't have cell phones, right, during that time. Mm -hmm. So obviously you couldn't call the person directly. But instead of calling their home and trying to locate them or find them, you would speak to to a perfect stranger, (laughs) tell them something (laughs) to have that message relayed. Oh, man, I... I think I think we'd go to pretty far lengths not to have to talk on the phone, and that's not new. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only person in my age cohort who has like f- phone anxiety. Like, it's like if yeah. I go if I go in to a place to like make a doctor's appointment or you know put a reservation on something. If I go in in person totally fine not a problem at all if i have to call oh my gosh i have to pump myself up i have to like like take notes of like wait what am i gonna say i have to like write down my own name and phone number so i don't you know how embarrassing it is to leave a message for somebody and you forget to identify who you are or how to reach you oh my gosh that like i have woken up in the middle of the night with the realization i left a message for somebody and didn't tell them who i was or how to get get back to me they're they they hate me now they hate me now <laughs> it's just like stressing out about that stuff but it's like with you know with discord or um, steam chat or psn all, all of that stuff is like the the interface makes it i feel at least a little bit less stressful because you can you know you can change yourself to uh, different statuses of being online or offline or you know afk or whatever you can um you know, make yourself uh, invisible if you don't want to talk to anybody or you can like make it so that it says specifically what you're playing as sort of this like open armed like if any of my friends want to join this game, come join me. I'm ready. That kind of stuff. I love I love that there's there's more opportunity for sort of 
deciding how much interaction you are comfortable with in any given moment. I also did the thing of like saying, love you, bye, <laughs> to, to one of my mom's <laughs> friends as a kid. I don't know why that, I mean, it's so good to hear you say it because I feel like that was a, maybe not traumatizing, but it left a mark in my brain. And I, I still think about that sometimes. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, so no, weird. for sure. I was yeah. like totally mortified. <laughs> <laughs> but it reminded me of, of my mom and how she's changed over the years. And now, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure she'd rather text. <laughs> she very much appreciates that you text before you call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm finding that too with um, a lot of my older uh, friends or relatives is that um, – yeah, it, it took them a long time to sort of adopt texting as a communication style. But once they got into it, they were like, oh, I see the value in this a lot. And even if it's just grandma using it, my friend yeah. Nate got a text from his grandma that says, call me when you can. <laughs> He's just like, what's wrong? Are you dying? And she's like, no, I just wanted to know if you wanted to come pick up your mail this afternoon. <laughs> but, you know, it's the step up from like, instead of just calling and you're like, oh, God, do I have to ignore my grandma? Is like, mm-hmm. oh, no, she texted first to check in and I yep. can get back to her when I'm ready. Yeah. And it's a better way and they, they've seen the light. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good. Um, but one complaint that my mom has constantly about speaking to my sisters is that she calls them and they're busy doing something. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, they, even they call me and then they're they're taking care of the kids or they're doing something else and then they start <laughs> talking to someone else. And it's just so annoying. I don't even like talking to them. And, and she says, like, you never do that to me. You're all like, I'm just better at hiding it. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> sometimes she'll call me and I just like, I can't just sit here and have a conversation. So I'll boot up a game. And there's so many times when I start playing a game just because I am on the phone. Like yep. I, I need that. I don't, I don't know what to, what to call it. A cushion, uh, a distraction. I don't know. Right. But there's so many times that we'll start talking on the phone. I'm like, yeah, mom. No, I'm not busy. Boom. PlayStation's on. <laughs> Let's play something. Or I'll pull out the switch and, and I'll just play. Almost anything, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some games that are better for talking on the phone than others. I have preferences, but yeah. definitely, uh, it's something that she's never she's never noticed apparently. <laughs> 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 but and, I don't know. I guess I guess it just makes that easier. And one one comment in that article, you know, it says that video games aren't just for entertainment; they're actually a form of communication. And and I like that framing. And I know that absolutely that's true for me and for my friends. I mean, probably if you don't play video games, we're probably not really friends. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something, like, and, and I say that, you know, completely honestly. Like if I meet somebody and and we They're like, we I've out. never played a game in my whole life. And you're like, I have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Look not at the exactly. time. <laughs> not exactly, but it's definitely like I, I immediately feel like, oh, then we're we're probably never going to talk, <laughs> because that's that's just the way my 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 friendships and my relationships are built. I'm only reachable by Discord and PSN. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, unless we start a podcast or unless you play <laughs> some sort of co-op oh game. Oh my god! I don't think we're gonna have a, a relationship. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's the truth, and and I think I don't think even I don't even think it's that funny because of how common it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break and then come back and talk about some research. Every week, the Geek Therapy Stream team goes live on Twitch and plays a variety of games. 
sometimes new, sometimes classics. Depending on who's streaming, we'll be talking about psychology, mental health, or whatever comes up in the chat. Go to twitch.tv slash geektherapy to follow us so you know when we go live. Or check out our archives if you miss a live stream. And let us know what you'd like to see us play. We're live at least three nights a week at twitch.tv slash geektherapy. See you in the chat. We're back. Let's talk about research. What'd you find, Lauren? Well, I went and read the journal article that was linked inside of the Kotaku article, and then I went and did some uh, skim reading of some other similar studies that were on, you know, video games and communication and looking at uh, gender differences. Um, which I think is interesting, but um, before we get into those, I do want to talk about gender and research yeah, uh, in general, <laughs> yeah. because uh, you know we're Americans and our culture is uh, very binary when it comes to gender and sex, and so a lot of research uses gender as its main variable in what it is studying. It wants to look at the differences between men and women. And um, while you absolutely can find statistical differences between men and women, I personally believe that um, that is becoming less and less useful as a way of describing the patterns that we see in in data that we collect. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think that there is some value in looking at at gender differences when we're talking about you know video game playing and uh, video game communication styles and how people are communicating in games. But all of those are going to be looking at they're going to be uh, correlate studies where they're looking at correlations between gender and a behavior. It's almost never going to be causal. So you can't say that, you know, whatever the outcome is, is because you're a boy or is because you're a girl, because the data doesn't really support that that kind of relationship. I so can't I think, think of any situation where, uh, like gaming study, where gender was positioned as, as causal. Right? Well, I mean, it depends. A lot of the time is it's not outwardly stated as causal but it is uh, heavily implied as like the reason and even more heavily reported yes and then of course you you get you know out of the academic circles and it starts uh being reported on by you know people who don't if you're a girl (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean that's what that's what you get to but like um you know like this kotaku article is you know the author this isn't like hard scientific research the the author you know, posted on Twitter and asked for, you know, her followers to respond to her, which were mostly men. But it's like that's that is a data pool of convenience. It is not representative. Also, something interesting uh, within all this is that when we're talking about like if it's if it's solely binary, it's already I don't know, it's already I have questions, I have more questions. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. Like, did you were there more options? And are people identifying as such or are you simply checking off a box when they walk in through the door kind of thing? Yep. And even that Twitter uh, research that she did. Yeah, it's like you um, can't necessarily tell somebody's gender by their Twitter name or Twitter handle, right? A lot of that's guesswork too. But she said that according to Twitter analytics, right, Twitter itself believes it has an idea of, yeah. of if you're male or female. And if I'm almost certain that that's binary, if not... 
maybe there's a third option. But most of that is happening also based on behavior. Yeah. I do not think that Twitter asks you for your gender. So Twitter is making an assumption of people's genders. And even even if they're asking you, there's not a way to verify that necessarily. Also, also, yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, like I said, I think it's interesting to to look at data split along gender lines, but I don't think it's as useful uh, in 2019 as maybe like 1947. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I still think it's interesting and I still think that you can you know, draw some conclusions about, um, especially if you're a game developer, if you are trying to access um, an audience that you don't typically engage with, I think there is some value into looking at these kinds of studies and seeing like, okay, if I'm trying to get more, you know, women aged 18 to 25 to engage with my game, then I need to, you know, look at what kinds of games that they engage with and what aspects of those games they find engaging. But I don't necessarily think it should go so far as to be all like, well, I'm making a girl game, so I used all the girl game assets, and then I'm making a boy game, and it uses all the boy game assets. It's like, no, 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 no. Do not <laughs> do not do that, please. Mm. And recognition of who is going to answer these kinds of questions? Who's going to participate in research at all? Who's going to participate in this kind of research? So it's it's really hard to make like universal statements based off of this kind of research because it's it's very narrow samples, but you can still, you know, get get some interesting ideas and sort of a framework for how you think about the way that, you know, different people interact with a piece of media. But with the Royal Society Open Science study about sex differences across the life cycle is they were they were looking at a gender binary and then they split age up into some sort of grouping. Um, I guess they split it somewhere in the mid to late 30s. But it's like, why? Why was that arbitrary number decided because there's not, you know, there's not a huge measurable difference between 29 years old and 11 months versus 30 years old, right? And and statistically dividing those groups up is is a choice that you are making that may influence the way your your data it describes itself. Yeah. I mean, again, I agree 100%, but you also have to just like group people somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Draw the yeah, line and somewhere. I mean, I mean, that's 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 sort of the point I'm making <laughs> yeah. is like you are going to have to make calls. It's the same, it's, you know, drawing the line back to game developers is you are going to have to make decisions on what what things that you want to keep and what aspects you want to focus on because you're never going to be able to be 100% fully inclusive of all possibilities. It's impossible. <laughs> but as long as you are aware of when you are making those decisions and how those decisions might impact what, you know, the information that you're looking at, then you are coming from like a much more knowledgeable perspective and you're better able to understand what the data is telling you versus just sort of guessing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's see. What do I, I want to switch to? Um, okay. Uh, I found an article on the Communications Research Journal about sex differences and ga- or sex differences in gameplay explained by uh, uses and gratification theory, which is basically a theory uh, of human motivation is sort of like the reasons 
why we do what we do is like what sort of benefit are you getting from performing a behavior in a certain context and how how are you being physiologically or psychologically gratified by by repeating that behavior and so they looked at college students a whole bunch of college students and they looked at how much time they spent playing games and what genre of games they liked playing and then their gender so they found some some gendered motivations were different like female game players tended more towards um, wanting inclusion and affection versus uh, male players wanting more like competition and mastery as their their uses and gratification but the authors of the study ended up talking about it and, and where they thought it was more the, the differences they found in their data they thought was more reflective of a so- socialization factor hmm. in the college students where as they described it men are encouraged to play video games to like video games to be passionate about video games to talk about how much they love video games and women aren't socialized to do the same thing and so their data had a lot of men like being sort of over the top ex- enthusiastic about games and gaming and women were being sort of like understated and everything and so they were like we don't know if there's actually as much of a difference as our data is showing because part of it could just be that people are trained to respond with a certain level of emotionality yeah yeah or a certain amount of interest where it's like, you know, it's like, it's totally cool if you're like, yeah, I'm a 20 year old dude and I play video games 20 hours a week. And people are like, that's normal. And you're like, I'm a 20 year old girl and I play video games 20 hours a week. And they're like, oh my gosh, (gasps) are you dead? Do you not have a boyfriend? Uh," And stuff like that. So there's like the the huge social aspect of gender. and, And that's a good point. I'm glad they pointed that out. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was really interesting that it's like, they're like, we have, you know, statistical numbers that support that there are differences in the the uses and gratifications of men and women playing games, well, specifically 18 to 24 year olds playing video games. But the the distinctions between them may not be representative of gender so much as representative of that specific group of college students at that college in that state in that country in that year, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then I've got another article I found just from the American Journal of Speech and Language Pathology, I believe. Um, and Ooh. that study was looking at young adults with autism using games as um, a leisure activity, but also it being a, uh, a way to develop skills, specifically communication skills. Um, this was like a, a small a small study. They had 10 participants that they interviewed um, and nine nine of the ten were male. Um, and they they did they interviewed both uh, autistic people and um, neurotypical people, but they didn't include the quote unquote control group in the study because that was just sort of a, a reference point for them internally. But um, they found that you know a lot of the people they talked to were using using games as a as basically a space to practice social interactions hmm. in a way that was lower emotional investment, lower like fear and, and basically made it where non-neurotypical people are finding a way to utilize an entertainment tool as like a social skills tool. I think that's really friggin cool. Yeah. 
I've read a few articles already, just uh, not research articles, but that just talk about the fact that Fortnite is a phenomenon because it's mm-hmm. it's the new playground for kids. Yep. Instead of going to the playground, <laughs> the physical playground with the with the swings and the slides, or or going to play basketball, they're they're meeting up in Fortnite. They're they're not really playing the game to win. There's a hundred people in there. There's there's a group of kids who are just there to hang out. Yeah. And I've done that. And I'm in my 30s. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, so that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I just, I, I think the, the Kotaku article was very much looking at the uh, friendship maintenance side of it. But I think there's yeah. also a lot of space for building relationships. Yeah. But I think like the most beneficial is games are more useful as a way to maintain friendships rather than build them because it helps if you already have some sort of foundation. But I do think that you can absolutely build friendships completely through games that are are meaningful and valuable and life-changing. And I mean, I know I never played WoW growing up, but I know people in high school who had guilds that they were a part of that they participated in as much as if not more than like the kids in school who were in a sports team or the theater kids or the taekwondo kids it's like they're like no i have a guild and we have you know two meetings a week that i go to every week and i show up at on time and i talk with my friends and then you know this one person's really cool and so we go and do a special quest every week together to get the special item and stuff like that it's like those are really valuable friendships but also you're you're learning other beneficial skills that that sort of shift into real life communication social interaction on a recent episode of rolling for change geek therapy's uh, tabletop gaming show uh, brian said if you're trying to meet people and you go to a bar you're going to meet people who like to go to bars Mm-hmm. If you go to a gaming convention to find friends, you're going to find people who like to play games and go yep. to gaming conventions. And so earlier when I mentioned that if I meet someone and I find out that they don't play games, we probably won't develop too much of a friendship just because of my interests and, and we've discussed the way that I communicate. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It almost makes sense that if I'm if my intention is to seek new relationships, I should probably do that around around gaming, right? It would make more sense because then that is the foundation. Like you said, friendship maintenance through gaming, it's easier if you have a foundation. Well, I think gaming can be the foundation. A particular game yeah. can be that. I mean, I've always thought that. I've never I've never, you know, we've never talked about it in, in this particular context with the communication piece. But the more we talk about it, the more I feel that it can be. And because it just makes sense. <laughs> it's probably easier yeah. to find people. It's almost guaranteed that you're going to find people who share at least one interest with you. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's, it's odd to, like I have gone to activities and parties and, and, and bars and met other people who look kind of miserable too. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like bars. I don't like parties. <laughs> and then we bonded. But I've never gone to a game and met someone who's like, ugh, I hate gaming. Like, <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Something to think about as I continue to search for friends. <laughs> yeah. Although yeah. according to this article, I'm, I'm not doing that as much anymore, right? Because I'm past 30. So. Yep. Yep. 
All your friends are dying. Yep. Don't take research articles literally, people. Never. Never we're, ever. We're saying it in jest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um <laughs> I think I think this topic is really broad and deep and there are so many angles to come at it from. I mean, obviously there's the communication angle, there's the, you know, gendered so- socialization angle, there's the, you know, video game mechanical angle. Like all of mm-hmm. that stuff is really interesting and in how they all intersect with each other and how that impacts the way we connect with each other, the way that we communicate with each other, the way that we yeah. play together. That yeah. stuff is so cool to me and I love um that Kot- Kotaku talks about this stuff and that they link to to actual research which which is very cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I love this stuff. <laughs> you know, and we're recording this on the week that Geek Therapy is celebrating its eighth anniversary. And the whole theory behind Geek Therapy and the whole reason this, this whole network even started was based on the idea that the best way to understand each other, like as, you know, different people on, on opposite sides of something or understand ourselves is through these things that we, that we love and we care about. And, We've spent, you know, the last hour talking about video games, which I love, and how I communicate with people and how I build relationships. And I also enjoyed this conversation. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe maybe in a future episode we can delve a little bit deeper into this conversation. I mean, I, I, I personally think it's really interesting to look at um, not just like how people communicate in games, but specifically what they're saying to each other because, hmm. yeah, yeah, you know, we, we make shorthand and we make acronyms and, and inside jokes and stuff that all tie into the language of communicating with each other. And, and there's a whole extra layer in there when it's video games because, you know, there's the the context of what the game is and, and what's going on in the game and what action words the game is using versus what you use and stuff like that is like i think that's really cool stuff to look look really close at the you know the language of multiplayer communication (laughs) (laughs) well i mean this gives me two ideas right i think the natural uh evolution on one hand is to talk about what what people are actually saying like you said and then the other is an idea that we've had for a while, which is to talk about language acquisition and even creation within a game. And yeah, I think that's yeah. A part I mean, I, I was thinking like, you know, we talked about Apex earlier and, and a big part of why I like Apex so much is that I get to, you know, talk with you and the stream team when we play with, you know, Zach and Brandon and Patrick and Mark. And I think about like the colloquialisms we use within that game and the one, you know, ones that are sort of just in general battle royale games where it's like the ring is coming Mm -hmm. um, versus like specifically apex things where it's like there's a lifeline over there um, and stuff like that compared to, you know, other battle royale games or other first person shooter games. I think there's there's a lot of intricacies in the language. And I think it I think if you. had a lot of time and resources, you could sort of um, 
archaeology style is like follow <laughs> some of the terminology all the way back through to like, you know, the first like original like Wolfenstein games and stuff yeah. like, you know, early yeah. first person shooters and the way that, you know, that that created some language and the way that that language has carried through generations of games and consoles and players and um, how they've shifted in meaning or become more inclusive or exclusive in meaning and all of that stuff, I think is so cool. Yeah, I'd like to take a few games and just look at how much additional vocabulary you need. Yeah. Like, how many new words did you learn just to... Because a whole bunch of made-up words that don't mean anything outside of this context. Exactly. I mean, I'm thinking yeah. about, like, you know, MOBAs and talking about, like, cooldowns players. and alts and, yeah. Uh, yeah, all of that stuff. Item usage and stuff like that. It's like, it gets, it gets really hairy really fast. It's really interesting to think about how our brains organize that information because... Yeah. It, it doesn't really see a distinction from, you know, it, it's a video game and therefore it's less important than IRL communication. Your brain's like, no, this is communication and therefore is important. So I need to focus on it. It's like, thank you, brain. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Last night I played Dota Underworld for the first time. And after uh, an, uh, like two or three hour session, I was like, okay, <laughs> these are savages. These are... Uh, I forgot some of the terminology, but I like there was like iconography and like I knew what it meant and what it represented and like I learned a whole bunch in a couple of hours. Yeah. But yeah, but that those are future episodes Hell of yeah. Headshots. <laughs> you can listen to future and past episodes of Headshots at headshotspodcast.com. You can uh, find links to subscribe there. Definitely check us out on our Discord. Um, we tw- uh, we stream on Twitch every week, multiple times a week. Uh, come support our, our stream team over there. Uh, part of the plan is to play some of the games that we talk about here, and and talk about them, uh, and 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 in this in the context that we're talking about them in, on the show. So yeah, thank you for listening. Links to all of our stuff are in the show notes, and we'll be back in two weeks. Bye.